0: Father, I pray that you give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, hearts that are postured before you um, with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. Father, I pray that we will walk out of here worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we do do have our um, regular Christmas service. And then we have our Christmas Eve service from 6 to 7 p.m. We will be out at 7 p.m. No conference, no six pages of notes. And then um, starting January, the first service in January, we will be out of here by 11.30. So that means you can start turning the crockpots on 45 minutes instead of an hour and a half, right? Amen? So be looking for that. So last week we were looking at Exodus 17. Exodus 17. And it was about grumbling. That's tough, isn't it? How many grumblers we got in here? All right, if you're married, um, wife, please close your eyes. How many spouses grumble all the time? We got any spouses that grumble? We got some finger points. Bob, elder Bob was doing this. That's all I saw. So, uh... You guys ever seen that um, Liar Liar where um, Jim Carrey's trying to talk about the pen and it's blue, right? And he's trying to lie and he just can't. That's kind of what happened with Bob. He was trying to point at Teresa and he's like, you're the grumbler. We'll pray for you. We will anoint you with oil later. No. I really believe that grumbling and complaining and um, gossiping and just this negative attitude can really destroy um, our days, our lives, a church culture, a community. And, um, and it's never a good place to be, right? Because we can look back 2020 and see this story in Exodus and we say, look at everything that God has done for you this far. And now you don't have water and you don't know that he's going to provide How do you not know that he's going to provide? Like everything that he's done thus far, you should by now know that he's good. And you're going to complain about water. We all have that in our nature, don't we? It's like everything's good, but the pizza was a little brown on top. So now we have to grumble about the pizza. How the delivery guy was late. How there was the cheese wasn't evenly spread, or, or the waiter, the waiter didn't do his job, or he spilled his water, or he only gave us one refill. There's always this grumbling, and I remember, um, you know, like there's 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 this person. He he's my father, and my earthly father. Um, you hop in the car with him. And instantly, you're on eggshells. It's like the person in front of you, one, there's no brakes. You're just always, like, right on that person. And then he's always yelling at them to go faster. Not yelling, but, like, tense and screaming. And, and I'm praying for my salvation because I don't know what's going to happen in this vehicle. Like, almost like Jonah. Like, just get me out of this place because judgment's going to come on me with how, how mad this dude is driving. Point being, um, now I don't even know the point, (laughs) this grumbling attitude, right? So he's driving and driving and frustrated and put on your blinker here and put on your brakes and drive faster. And then you got that person who like passes six cars and he's been trying to get out for the past 10 minutes. But then this, you know what, six cars back passes everyone going 85, And then they really get it. So then what do we do? We all grumble together, right? Who's been there? You start grumbling about people's driving and you start grumbling because the chicken sandwich, uh, they forgot the mayo or you order tomato and they forgot it. You start grumbling and grumbling and grumbling and grumbling, but you know what? I would be that same person passing 18 cars going 110 miles an hour, if there was an emergency I needed to be at. The fact of the matter, the things that we're grumbling about, we often don't know the story behind the story. So what we're learning is grumbling often becomes out, out, comes out of a place of, of what's going on inside of you more than actually the problem being with the other person. And what I'm learning is that wherever you go, whatever you do, your problems are going to follow you. You realize that? Because most of the problems that you find wherever you are are more about you than they are situations. Now, am I saying that um, organizations and people don't make mistakes? I'm not. Don't hear what I'm not saying, right? But what I am saying is there's things that God's stirring up and working within you for just a time as this that you're not going to be able to escape from. And grumbling about it isn't going to change it. So how can we as a community be stirred up in thanksgiving and trust and knowing that God has good things for us? And even when it doesn't look the way that we want it to look, then um, God is good. Like Because Moses Moses actually has no power. The only power in Moses is, is Christ using him. Likewise, none of us, we, we don't have any power. The only power that we have is Jesus Christ living in us and then working through us. So before Thanksgiving, um, someone got a hold of me and said, hey, we have some food. We have some food, some extra food that we'd like to get rid of. Do you have anyone who you would know might need it? And then they said, do you have any space in the church refrigerators or freezers? And I said, yeah, we got some space. And uh, they're like, well, l- let me look at it. So they went back and they looked at the freezers and they said, well, let me see if this person can keep it. And I'm like, I offered you our freezers. Why are you going to see if this person's going to keep it? So then I go over and pick up this food and it literally fills up the back of my truck and it fills up a half of another truck. And I said, oh, that's why, because, you know, we have these little two and a half foot by two and a half foot freezers and that's why, and you're just being Nice. So this person ended up asking that um, we would pass out food. So Wednesday before Thanksgiving, from 12.30 to 6.30 p.m., uh, myself and intern or coffee boy, <laughs> Mark, no, ministry intern, Mark, who um, just love hanging out with. Mark, wave your hand so everyone just continues to get familiar with you. We went from 12.30 to 6.30, and we went to uh, pass out food. And while we're passing out food and loving on people, literally one of the biggest troublemakers I ever ran into and knew here within Mechanicsburg was the second door that I knocked on. The last time I talked to his family, they said he's running from big big police. Like, he's not going to be found. So now, that's the last thing I heard from the family member, and I bump into this person. I'm a sissy boy, right? <laughs> like, and I can't even run anymore so I'm just dead, so gulp, so I start talking to this person, and I start relating and seeing what's going on, and, and then I said, so um, so how was prison? Is it like lockup? Have you ever watched Locked Up? Is it like that? And then you just try to break, break the weirdness, like, and then you say, you were the baddest dude ever, like everyone was afraid of you, so you break that, And then I said, you know what, but this is about Jesus Christ. And the boldness came on me and I said, what do you believe? He said, what do you mean? I said, what do you believe? Do you believe in anything? I said, I know you guys historically haven't been religious people. And he said, a couple years ago, Joey, I gave my life to Christ. And I said, what about Christ? He said that Christ is the only way to heaven, that his blood poured over my life and that he rose three days later for the atonement of my sins and Jesus is my king. I'm like, man, this is going to be a great day. Like, this is going to be a good day because if anything happens in here, I got this brother who I know has been in prison, and he's going to take his handcrafted shank, right? So I'm good. So we're grabbing turkeys. We're grabbing sausage. We're grabbing potatoes. We're grabbing onions. We're grabbing cake, and we're going door to door knocking on it. And uh, Mark and I passed this lady. She was on the phone, and while she, was, um, while she was on the phone, there was another girl there, I and mean, she was talking on the phone, or no, she was just kind of lingering, and um, I said, hey, we got some food. If you want some, meet me over at that truck in five minutes. So Mark and I go into some other apartments. We knock on some other doors. We're on our way back, and then she met the other person we were with right in the middle of kind of like this courtyard. And we started to talk and pray. And then what happened is God started to reveal things through us. And the reason why I want to share this is, one, I want to encourage us as a culture and as a community that represents many different communities is the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's harvest within our communities, and you look around you right now, There are seats that could be filled. And actually what we're going to learn today in in peace, if we get to it, is in Exodus 17 and 18, we're learning that Moses is limited within himself. And what I'm going to declare here in front of every single one of you is I'm very limited. And I'll even say this, as much as I love the staff here at the church, the staff is very limited. We can't do it all. But there has to be a partnership and collaboration. There has to be a give and a receive. There has to be a positioning of feedback before others and under others to go out and walk out the Great Commission. So what happened is, is, is Tuesday, uh, yeah, Tuesday night. You know, like when, um, when I was um, in high school, I would always dream about uh, my sporting events. So... I never had to worry about beating West Liberty in in track. So I would always dream about beating Northeastern. And I'd I'd always dream about beating Catholic Central and Greenview and some of these bigger schools. Okay, I guess West Liberty. (laughs) You dream about it, right? You think. I I remember um, being trained in baseball. Okay, Joey, you're playing shortstop. There's a guy in first and there's a guy in third with two outs. What are you going to do with the ball? So you think about it, you dream about it, you think about diving and catching. So I find myself Tuesday night knowing that Wednesday I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna pass out food. I found myself dreaming about what I was gonna do. God, I'm gonna gonna share the gospel. I'm gonna be bold. I'm not gonna hide behind myself anymore. I'm not gonna hide behind just the food anymore. I'm gonna present the good news because the food within itself doesn't do anything. Provides you a meal. Kindness within itself doesn't save someone. Love within itself doesn't get you to heaven. So so I started dreaming, and I was dreaming of being in this courtyard and and dreaming of dreaming and dreaming and dreaming and dreaming and dreaming. So I find myself there in this moment that I was dreaming about. Those two women, they walk over um, to the area. They're walking to the truck. They're stopped by the other guy. Mark and I end up walking up. He said, where's this food? Like, we can get there. And um, something just like stirred up in me and they started to talk about some sicknesses that they had. I have this sickness and this sickness and multiple sclerosis and this happened and that happened. And then my heart broke and God spoke to me about things that was taking place in her life even beforehand. So um, I don't remember explicitly what it was, but I said, hey, I... Uh, I feel like God' is saying that something took place earlier in your life that changed the trajectory, and uh, specifically with men or something. And tears started to fall down her face, and there was just more words of knowledge that ended up taking place in that moment, right? So then I finally got to the place where I said, "Look, hypothetically, this disease takes your life. What happens with you? If you die tonight, What's happening to you? She said, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. I said, what? She said, I'm a good person. So I took that opportunity and I said, I know this is a young, cute lad here, but he's not even good. And this guy's surely not good. And this guy's not even close to good. And I said, you're not good. And you're not good. And what the Bible tells us is there was one that was good and that was Jesus Christ himself. And we don't make it to heaven because we're good. We make it to heaven because the blood of Jesus was spilled on the cross for our sin. That if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose three days later, that we could be saved. And by tears, both of them in that moment accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen? Look. There's, there's, there's harvest in our communities. And you know what's not going to happen? We're not going to get that harvest when we start complaining about paint colors. Or dirty floors. Or he could have said this different. Or she could have said this different or where this is or where that is. We're not going to get that because when our mind is focused on our preferences, then we're missing out on the goodness that God has for us and the harvest that there is. And I wonder how much fuller this church could be and how much fuller and at peace our community could be if our focus could be in a greater direction of Christ than our grumbling. Amen? That's hard to receive. Because in peace, guess what? You're grumbling because you think you're right. Why else, would you, why else would you say it if you didn't think you were right? If you're just a jerk, then whatever. You got another problem. You're grumbling because you believe that your opinion is right. Let's set some of those opinions aside, right? I heard someone once say, in an interview, why don't I ever hear you talk bad about anyone? And they said, because I fear God, and I fear the God inside of them, that they're too good to talk uh, negatively about. You realize that when we speak negativity onto people, about people, there's still a God inside of them. Let's not grumble about the God inside of them. And you know, we also have the scripture that talks about, you know, get the speck out of your own eye, right? Let's become a culture that speaks life, seeks harvest, and really lives in surrender to God. Nevertheless, we're in this moment with this lady, with these women, and we're sharing these words of knowledge. And they say, basically like, how do you know this? How do you know this? How do you know this? And we say, well, let's clarify We come in the name of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. And because we have a relationship with him and he offers us all unique gifts, he's manifesting through us unto you. It's not about us as an individual. It's not about this person or that person or me. It's about Christ in me who wants you to know how much he loves you. He's calling you to a relationship with him. Moses within himself with his staff, without God. He couldn't have picked up his staff. He couldn't have whacked it on anything. He couldn't have thrown it at anything and had any power. Why? Because Moses is limited. And you know what? There's a great chance, actually a 100% chance, that as of last Wednesday, I would not have been passing out food and in the community without other people supporting me. It doesn't mean that I won't do it tomorrow but I can tell you last Wednesday I wouldn't have. We're limited. You can't do it yourself. The hard pill to swallow is you're not that important either, right? People are gonna forget about you. I've come to accept that there will be very few people there when I pass from this life to the next people maybe maybe i'll have a big funeral maybe i'll have a small funeral maybe i won't even have a funeral but the fact of the matter is most people will forget about my existence it's about christ in me in the unity of the body we need each other right look at your neighbor and say i need you scott did you say scott (laughs) i need you scott We need each other, right? Can we just, can we try to be conscientious of the words that come out of our mouth about the people that we love the most, about a community that's seeking after Jesus Christ? Do you know what I can tell you about what's so good about this community here? Is we're reading the word and we're preaching the word and we're, 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 we're trying to pursue it. There's a lot of churches that aren't. There's a lot of churches that are uh, trying to tickle ears, right? Look at your navel, navel. <laughs> look at your navel and tickle the eel. <laughs> Sorry, tickle Scotty's ear. We're trying. So let's not be a community that grumbles. And look, this isn't coming from the place of we have a grumbling community. This is like almost like. Let's be cautious that our hearts don't get there, right? Let's be cautious and let's be proactive in the sense of taking a step forward in what God's calling us to. Amen? Okay. Limited, limited, you're limited, I'm limited. We need you. And here's what happens is we all have an idea of what the church should look like, right? Like worship preferences, and uh, preaching styles and uh, greeting styles and bulletin information. We all have those things, but we need all of your help to go out and live it out. You guys have a role, and an important role. Maybe, maybe I'm the pinky toe. I still need the foot. I still need the knees and the ligaments. Nevertheless. Um, let's look at chapter 17 real quick. And I'm going to read 8, uh, verse 8, through the rest of the chapter. And then we're going to um, try to finish this uh, chapter 17 and 18 today. So, verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the uh, But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army. With the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will continue to blot out the name of Amalek under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So Moses finds himself in a situation, right? Why is it we always feel like we're the only ones who seem to find ourselves in a situation after a situation after a situation after a situation? situation? Don't you ever feel like you're the only one I know that you're the only one. How was that, Lou? All right. I told you I'm going to start singing. All right. Moses finds himself in a situation, another situation. These, um, the Amalek people, the Amalekites, they end up fighting. Joshua um, is appointed Moses needs to hold his hands up, and if he can hold his hands up, now I know why if you were bad in school, you were required to hold up your books in the back of the classroom because they're going to be victory, right, if you can keep them up. That's not why. Most of us are familiar with this passage, right? See, A lot of times I've heard this this passage preached from the sense of, look, if you can keep this posture of prayer in your life, if you just keep on praying, if you just keep on interceding, if the people around you will keep you lifted up in prayer and you can keep on focusing on prayer, then victory will come. And prayer is paramount. But what I want to say today is I believe that the staff throughout the story of Exodus actually represents something uniquely different than just prayer? What have we seen the staff represent throughout um, Exodus? Judgment and mercy. Prayer's paramount. But I don't believe the staff represents prayer. Um, we've seen it represent Judgment. In grace and mercy to the Egyptians and to God's people. Think back to all of the examples or some of the examples that we've seen thus far. So Moses raises the staff and he touches the Nile. What happened? It turned into blood. Nothing to do with prayer. When he raises the staff, the locusts came in, right? When he raises the staff, the frogs came in. When he raises the staff, the gnats come in. When God's people were backed up to the Red Sea, what did he do with the staff? With the staff, the Red Sea was parted. And then what happened with the staff? With the staff, the Red Sea was closed. And what happened to everyone who was there? All the Egyptians. Not one of them survived. So it is good to have a posture of prayer, it is good to hold people up in prayer, it is good to partner with people in prayer, but I believe there was the significance of the staff being raised and held up as God's mercy and judgment over the situation. And that's where the victory came. Why? Because Moses within himself was limited. See, you start to see these people who might even, uh, not worshiping Moses, but, but Moses is, God's the reason, and then you have like, Moses as the next reason, right? Because it was Moses, through the leading of God, who led them out of Egypt. So you could see a culture who starts to put a lot into the leader, right? But now you see that your leader's weak, not as strong as maybe the people thought. And he needs people around him to support and to hold up the judgment and the mercy of Christ. Likewise, here as a church, guess what we need? We need support. We need support within our communities. We need support with, uh, within our facilities. We need support on Sunday mornings, Stephen, tech booth, We need support, because by ourselves, we can't do it. Nevertheless, imagine, imagine being in this situation. Your people are at war, right? You get this understanding that if Moses' arms can stay up, you're good. But the moment his arms fall, you're not good. You know what we probably would have said as Americans. Let's see how this looks tomorrow morning. I wonder, we'll be all right. Let's call in some more troops. I wonder what this, I wonder, yeah. So imagine if um, Moses Moses would have said, no, wait, imagine if um, the people supporting Moses would have said this. Let's wait for tomorrow. Or let's think about a plan. Next week we can lift up his hands. Or you know what? Let's start Monday. Sorry, Monday. Let's start Monday, okay? When Monday comes, you know what we'll do? We're going to go to Moses and then we're going to lift up his hands. Then we'll hold him up. They couldn't do that. You know why they couldn't? Because there was an urgency for the moment. That their lives were on the lines. And not only were their lives on their lines, but their loved, their loved ones' lives were on the line. And guess what? We have loved ones whose lives are on the line today. And within our hearts, we begin to continue to rationalize why we can wait until Monday. Why we can think about it some more, come up with a better plan. I got asked on Sunday a couple weeks ago, and then Wednesday I was out there. I didn't have time to come up with a plan other than Tuesday night dreaming about it. There's a call to action right now for the gospel to be preached within our communities, within our families. And we actually are gonna see here in chapter 18 where Moses um, testifies of how good God is and then transformation comes. So you say, where do I start? You talk about God's goodness and his faithfulness in your life through the thick and through the thin. And as you share that, life will come. See, um, a couple months ago, Macy and I were coming down Moorfield Road, right? And so we're coming down the hill, heading towards Old 68. Any of you guys tracking with me? Okay. So we're going down the hill. We got the bank on our left, speedways on our right, and we're getting ready to go through the light and then this old creeper van with no brakes. (sighs) T-boned a car hit another car and then landed 10 feet in front of ours, easily going over 60 miles an hour. Guess what we did? We jumped out, we called 911 immediately. What can we do, there's oil leaking, if we need to pull people out of cars, like what do we need to do? We at least gonna call the Bambi Lambs, right? (laughs) What would've happened if we would've waited? What if we just would have thought about it? There was an urgency to the situation. And I want to sound the alarm today and say there's an urgency to presenting the gospel within our communities. Because if this generation isn't going to do it, because this generation, right, most of this generation, we believe that we are just, we got it all together. And there's no hope. Are they Generation Zs or what are they? Even X, Z's, Q, R, S, T, U, P's. The younger generation, a lot of us don't have any hope, right? If we don't set that example today, then that's also maybe our fault as well, right? There's an urgency to present God's goodness and the gospel to others. We have to start battling Today. We're battle-ready people. Why? Because Christ is in us. It's never easy. Look, you, you you hear the good stories, right? There's many stories where people just don't want any of it, and that's okay. But it's God's mercy and judgment. Just like Pharaoh, everyone has the opportunity to respond how they're supposed to respond. They get to choose. But we get to be like Moses to the world and go to them and present God's judgment and goodness and mercy and opportunity. Don't worry about their response. So my question to you is, um, how this week can you engage in making disciples? How this week can you engage in the war that's going on within our communities? And if you need help, I'm an email or a phone call or text message away. Right? You guys remember that commercial? It's Bob. We out a baby, eats a boy. I'll give you more time than that. It's not a click call. Call me, and we can we can help steer you in a direction to start making disciples. Amen. It would be. I would love if I didn't have any time to plan a sermon next week because there was a church that was thirsty to go out and engage the world for the gospel and soul saved. It would be great if I had to set up appointments every day this week to say, how do I, how do I share the gospel? We can't continue to think that someone else is doing it. We can't continue, as I've said before, limit it to the evangelist. When the Great Commission was presented, it wasn't just to the evangelist. It's not just about being nice to a coworker. It's not just about paying it forward at a coffee shop, because being nice to a coworker and paying it forward at a coffee shop and uh, pass, buying people stuff for Christmas doesn't get people saved. It's introducing people to the blood of Jesus Christ and allowing them to make a decision of whether to accept it or not. Amen. Can we do that as a church? Can we increase the way that we do that as a church? All right, chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people in Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife, Zephora, Zephora, His father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eleazar, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent, um, word, sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. Now, y'all know, like, your father-in-laws, like, some of them you're good friends with buddy, buddy, if you can talk about V6s and straight 6s and Harleys, you're good. But most father-in-laws, there's always this unique tension between them. You have a father-in-law saying, hey, look, I'm coming out to see, I'm coming out with your kids and your wife to see what's going on out there. But we do, we, we should have seen earlier in Exodus that it seems as if Jethro has a good nature, right? When um, Moses was at the well and he ended up Protecting, protecting the water fountain, Jethro then invited this man into his home, right? Ladies drink from the water fountain first. See, school systems are pretty biblical. So um, they always made the girls drink first. Nevertheless. So uh, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh." Who rescued? Sorry, who uh, rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians? Now I know. Now I know. Moses testifies. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for He did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in in the presence of God. Many people, um, I guess you can find anything you want on the Google, right? Anything you want. Um, Many people would suggest they weren't sure whether uh, Jethro had Christian background. Other people said, well, look, he's a priest of Midian. Like, he's not. So I believe that we see within the context of this scripture is that maybe um, Jethro didn't have God in the appropriate place, right? Because he ends up saying, this God is now above every other God. This happened because Moses... Was willing to identify who God really was. He testified, his testimony of God. Moses' testimony of Yahweh to his loved ones was able to pierce the heart and let them know how great God was. His testimony. You know, there's been many people that I've cried in front of that they never would have heard me until I cried. And I cried not because I was just concerned with them. I cried because of how good God was to me. It was my testimony of how good God was to me and how good God is to me that was able to um, pierce people's hearts. And right here what we see is as Moses was willing to share about all that God had uh, done for him and his people, Jethro appearingly came, came to God, right? Confessed God as being above all other gods. He converts to worshiping Yahweh because of what Yahweh had done. This is important. The gospel isn't about how our lives have improved or how much happier we are or even about... Um, Anything other than God at all. The gospel is all about God and what God has independently done throughout history. That's what it's about. It's about God. How good God is. See, God redeemed and rescued the people out of Egypt. Then God sent his son into the world to take on human nature, suffer, die on a cross for our sins, Rise and raise from the dead three days later. Ascend into a re- to reign with God in heaven at his right hand. It's all about God. Every bit of it. The gospel is about what God has done for his people through his son, Jesus Christ. Of which the um, exodus out of Egypt was merely an early prophecy we begin to see what is to come. Moses was willing to share with Jethro what God has done in his life and life and goodness came from it. Therefore, what should you and I do with that? We should be willing to share what God has done and the power of the gospel will follow. We must be willing to partner with each other and share God's goodness. A rhetorical question, you know, I I asked this several months ago, who's the last person you shared the gospel to? We have to give ourselves sober assessments. You wanna know why? The last thing I wanna do is think, just think that because I'm a pastor and because I read my Bible and because um, I preach most Sundays and because I listen to K-Love and Air One and uh, Radio U when I'm feeling young and ambitious, that I'm doing it right. Now look, even in the closest thing to right, I still fall short. But there is this questioning of if I'm not making disciples, if I'm not preaching the good news, then what am I doing? I think it's hard to say that God, I'm offering my body, and this is a hard statement. Um, I think it's hard to say that I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice, but I'm never pursuing making disciples. Because it's very clear to love God, love people, and make disciples, right? I'm not saying you need to go out and be a televangelist tomorrow. But what I am saying, there's, there's a start for you today. And maybe that start is picking up your Bible. Maybe that start is serving within the church. Maybe that start is um, signing up to go help at Christmas in the village. And then you start to become more comfortable um, being associated with the church, right? You guys hear my heart in that? It's hard. Um, Don't hear it as judgment. Hear it as just an assessment. Those are assessments that I go back to that if if I never make a disciple on this earth, was I really doing it? So, um, now look, there are limitations for certain people, right? But don't use um, other people's limitations as a reason for you not to. Nevertheless, verse 13, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses uh, was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you From morning till evening, Moses answered. And then insert uh, whatever in, um, however you want to say it. Maybe he could be saying it very arrogantly or just practically. Because the people come to me and seek God's will. Or because the people come to me and seek God's will. However you want to say it. Whenever um, they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. So I want to share a quick story. I shared this at the men's conference. It's it's been on my heart um, a lot lately for the past several months. So men who were there, um, keep listening. But many of you guys know about Abram and Lot, right? So in Genesis 13, what we end up seeing is Abram is a spiritual father type person within Lot's life. He's there to oversee, to lead, to guide in the appropriate direction. So in Genesis 13, what we see is there's this abundance that both of them have. It's like, there's too much here. There's, for, this, for this podium right here, there's not enough space. So what needs to happen is, Abram says this, look, you go north and I'll go south. Or if you go south, I'll go north because there's not enough space for us here. There's too much abundance. When you read it in that chapter, what it ends up saying is Lot ends up going east. What did the spiritual father say to do? Go north or go south? According to Genesis 13, he went east. And where his heart was leading him was to Sodom. See, sometimes our intentions think that we know best and our hearts deceive us. And scripture says that no man's heart is right. All men's hearts are evil, but his heart drew him east towards Sodom. So he camps outside for a while. I'm sure he was justifying it all. Camps outside, and then he goes inside, and now he's working for Sodom. And then he got the bartering going on, right, in Genesis 18 now. Abram and um, Abraham and um, God are bartering. God said, I'm going to destroy the city. So Abraham says, well, God, what if there's there 40 righteous people? Would you spare it? Well, what if there's 30 righteous people? Would you spare it? Well, well what if there's 25? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? What if there was a few righteous people, God? Would you spare the city? And God said, for a few righteous people, I would spare this city. An angel then, angel comes walking through the city, right? As they come walking through the city, the men within the city fell in love Angels go to Lot's house, start having a conversation. Lot's even um, acting like he has ceremonial bread ready, acting like he's holy and he's really not. So he tells these angels, he says, hey, look, you stay here, you stay here tonight, but then you need to leave before the sun rises in the morning. Get out of here, okay? It's gonna be best for you if you get out of here before the sun rises. Lot knows what he's doing. So what ends up happening is every man in the town comes knocking on this door. Give me that man, give me those men. He said, we want to Netflix and chill with them. For those who don't know what that means, the young, if your kid says that they're Netflix and chilling, you tell them to come home right now. Because the chill part means that in nine months you might be having a baby. I'm serious dead serious I'm not even going to look at any young person right now <laughs> I'm too embarrassed so what ends up happening the men are pounding on the door and guess what lot said hey don't take these guys take my daughters take my virgin daughters do whatever you want with them that's crazy this is in the bible This is disgusting. So what ends up happening, the angels say, Get out of the city for God's going to destroy it. Lot decided to to wait a night. So he gets up the next morning. He ends up leaving, and the thing was, don't look back. So they end up leaving. And what do we know with Lot's wife? What does she do? She looked back. And what I want to say real quick is just a little tweener is this, is not every leader within the house or not every leader has to be out in front. Because I'll tell you this, I hope that my heart is always in a place that when, when Macy is in a season of struggling, that I'm not going to walk in front of her, but I'm going to stand behind her and make sure that she's headed in the right direction. So men and families, not every, not all leadership is always out in front Setting the example, sometimes it's making sure that the person who's struggling has enough power just to head in the right direction. But Lot didn't do that because we see this characteristic within him, right? But where did all this start? Where did this start? All of this started because God sent a spiritual leader to Lot to say, you head north, as I get stuck to the pine cones, you head north, or you head south, and whatever way you go, I'll go the opposite. But he went another direction. Right here, what we see in this scripture is that there's somewhat of a leader within uh, Moses' life who's telling him to do a certain thing. And what I want to say is there has to be a submission. There has to be a surrender. There has to be someone in your life that you're willing to be accountable to and say yes to. Even when your heart says something completely different. So who is in your life today that you would trust if your heart said to move east and they said you stay right here? And if you don't have that person, find them. You wanna know why? Because Moses is limited. And you wanna know why? You're limited and you wanna know why I'm limited. We have elders here at the church. I pursue other spiritual fathers throughout the month, throughout the week, to talk to them, to hear from them. And no matter how mad you are at your family, God could have made, created you uh, for a different family so your fathers and your mothers, you need to listen to them as well. God actually speaks to them for you. Lot's story ends, not ends, but it just gets worse, right? He, he had to separate because he had an abundance. He leaves with just a few things, like nothing basically. He loses his wife, and then he finds himself in, a, in his cave with his two daughters, The two daughters say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like there's no one ever gonna be able to populate the earth again. We're the only ones alive. Let's get dad drunk and then we can repopulate the world. One night, one daughter, the next night, the next daughter. Disgusting. Who set that example? Lot did. You wanna know where he set that example? I think in peace, you see he set that example while they were growing up, but he said it when he said, hey, take my daughters instead of these two men. You could tell where his heart was. Don't be like Lot. Listen to the spiritual leaders in your life. They're not always gonna be right. I'm not saying elevate them to God because spiritual leaders are gonna be wrong because we're still humans, we still have flesh. Nevertheless, back to our current scripture. Moses was limited. And his father-in-law said, look, if you don't change the way you're doing these things, you're gonna wear out and you're gonna have nothing. So what did Moses do? He listened. And how they de- uh, delegated things um, were 1,500, was it uh, 50 and 10 then? So, yep, right here. Verse 25, and we're wrapping up. So, he chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, then served as judges for them, uh, then served as... um, Judges for people at all times. The difficult cases were brought to Moses, but the simple ones, they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his country. So Jethro helps Moses by offering him a strategy to accomplish the work at hand without being overwhelmed. We as a church don't have to be so overwhelmed in the tasks that we're doing each day. We have each other for that. And every single one of us, um, the babies were here, right? The babies were being put to work. And the uh, Moses is above 80. He's, he's still chugging. So everyone was needed. The good news within this scripture in Exodus 18, is Moses is limited and he's not the savior of the world. And the good news about Mechanics for Christian Fellowship is we are limited and we're not the savior either. We see things like this all throughout the Bible. We are often, often tempted today to think that someone might be a hero, right? A hero of God's story but everyone has limitations. Noah gets drunk, right? And he sleeps naked in, in his tent. Abraham humbles himself to be blessed by Melchizedek. David gets confronted, right? By the prophet Nathan and rebukes him about his sin. These strong heroes, Right? They all had shortcomings because they're not the Savior. Peter denies God, denies Jesus three times. And Moses takes advice from his father-in-law of how he can lead the people better because he's limited. This isn't a knock on Moses, right? but a biblical acknowledgement that Moses isn't the end of the story. And you're not the end of the story. It's a suggestion that someone greater than Moses would eventually come and that someone did come. And who was that person? Jesus Christ. To be the savior of the world. A role That Moses was unqualified for. So here's the point of the story today. There's a lot of points, right? Everyone's taking notes, I see it. Mental notes. We want to actually become a note taking church as we ramp up service. We want to actually get journals that we bring every Sunday. And then we'll start asking people what their note was. What did I say word three hundred and seventy three? How many coughs did I have? All right, 10% more tied next week. Here's the point of the story. God has redeemed his people for his own possession from the dominion of sin, death, and evil through someone greater than Moses. And because of God's redemption, he has given us each his body, to work through disagreements, frustrations, grumbling, and to take care of one another, even in the midst of conflict, as we walk out the Great Commission. It's our job to begin to honor God, because he sent us Jesus. Amen? Stand. Look, we're limited, but let's dream big for this community, right? There's seats that are in front of you today, and behind you, and beside you, that could represent, that actually do within my heart, represent soul saved. There's, there's a war going on right now. And, and what scripture says is few people find it, right? Let's get as many people as we can. Facebook, just Facebook people. When you see them at the store, talk to them. Because we need Jesus and we are limited. But with each other, there's, the sky's the limit, Right? get very motivational on you. The sky's the limit. Let's pray. Father, thank you that within our weaknesses you are strong. Thank you that um, you're with us and that you are good throughout the battle that's going on for souls right now. Stir up in us, Father, um, great passion for people and their souls to come in. A surrender to you Give us plans. Help us this week, Father. May we not forget about this. Uh, Remind us this week of things that stuck out to us. Um, In your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.